0: Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode.
1: Welcome to The Lineup, Officer Magazine's roundup of this week's police and law enforcement news. I'm your host, Joe Vince, Assistant Editor for Officer Magazine, and with me today is...
0: Semi-retired. Well, I'm still retired, Lieutenant Frank Morelli, but I feel like I do more for police department sometimes now than I did before I retired.
1: Uh, you know, I uh, my dad, same thing. I feel like he's working almost as much, if not a little bit more um, since retirement uh, than before, but he's doing stuff he loves, so it it, it, it doesn't it, matter.
0: It keeps me fresh on the contemporary stuff, and that's important mm-hmm. for those folks listening to this podcast. So what are we? What are we gonna talk about today, Joe? I love the I love these the lineup because I don't have to be as politically correct or as filtered, and and that makes it a lot more fun than any of the other ones that we do, in my mind.
1: Well, we're gonna start today. We'll get right into it. Uh, in California, um, Los Angeles County, where twelve of uh, cities in that county are suing to postpone um, a new zero bail policy, um, they are asking for an injunction. Um, saying that it will result in a significant increase in criminals released back into the community after their arrests. Um, what this new policy entails, basically it's very similar to um, what we've seen across the country. In fact, I think a, a few earlier episodes, we talked about uh, Illinois' um, new uh, no uh, zero bail policy. In this case, uh, nonviolent offenders, um, and, uh, those, uh, arrested on misdemeanors would not be, uh, would not have bail. Um, now violent offenders, of course, that would still be, uh, the case, but, um, what I find interesting about this is that what, uh, reform advocates are saying about this is that uh, the amount of money should not be, um, a factor in whether a person has to stay in jail um that it you know you should look at at the the crime itself but what i what i'm and this might not be the case maybe uh, this if you go into this policy a little more um uh, it contradicts what i'm going to say but it sounds like with these um non-violent offenses and the misdemeanors that um that's not even take uh, the the suspects um criminal record really isn't taken into account
0: well, so as I understand this, <clears throat> um, and look, let, let me let me say this up front. I I understand that there are people in different financial spectrums in our country, right? I mean, I'm not Elon Musk. I don't have billions of dollars. <laughs> if I get arrested for a crime and charged, and I go for bail review, or or for in front of a commissioner to have bail or bond set, and they tell me, okay, we'll give you bail. You know, we think you're a nice guy. We think you're going to show up in court. Um, so it's hundred million dollars. Well, if I go to a bail bondsman, then I need ten percent plus ten bucks. I don't have ten million dollars, so that's the same as telling me I can't have any bail at all. But if I if I'm uh, you know picked up for speeding, and I'm such a jerk that the officer goes, I'm not writing you a ticket. I'm taking you in front of the commissioner. We're going to charge you on a statement of charges, and the fine can be five hundred dollars, and the commissioner says, "I'm going to set your bail at five hundred dollars because I've already been such a jerk." He doesn't think I had there's any chance I'm coming back to court, so he wants to get the fine up front effectively. Um, but then I turn around, I gave a bail bondsman fifty dollars plus ten bucks. That's not a big deal. Um, the biggest thing I have a problem with is this one person, um, this judge, Jessner, who says that you know a person's ability to pay a large sum of money should not be the determining factor in deciding whether that person who is presumed innocent stays in jail before trial or is released. Then this judge, this is an important thing, this judge says any determination of an arrestee status after arrest but before being charged. Now, the judge ought to know better. Bail is bonds, the the hearing for that, whether they go in front of a commissioner for that, that doesn't happen until after they've been charged right they've been arrested they've been charged with a crime now we're trying to decide what do we have to do can we trust them to come back to court or do we have to have them put up some collateral so they're, they're gonna want to come back to court so they get their collateral back the judge ought to know better and that to me that says something about how out of touch these people are but at the end of the day my mind is a police officer um if if they're they've been arrested they've committed crime Yes, they're presumed innocent, but they still have to give us a promise that they're coming back to court. And if their background, if their criminal history, if their um, lack of establishment in, a, in a, a community, if their employment status, if their marital status, if none of this indicates that they are a stable person, that when we let them walk through the doors, they're going to disappear on the next train for Hoboken, then make them pay, a, make them pay, you know, post a significant bail. Um, and then the other side, the one other thing is I just had this come up in a different social media feed this morning. There's a mom who's calling the police saying, Y'all need to come arrest my son. He stole another car, and you need to keep him in jail. Because every time uh-huh. he steals a car and y'all let right. him walk free, he wants to steal more cars. And why wouldn't he? Exactly. This doesn't work.
1: Right. And and that I, I that is a, a big problem I see with this. Policy, if if it really isn't looking at the criminal history of these nonviolent offenders, um, because I, a lot of times too, it's yes, these are nonviolent crimes, but it that's still taxing on those communities and on those victims and on the uh, the police departments. Um, and there are there are studies that show your how you're able to identify these career criminals, these uh, recidivists. Um, that, that even if it is a misdemeanor or a nonviolent offense, bail can be appropriate. Yeah, it's,
0: it's a misdemeanor, it's a nonviolent offense this time. Mm-hmm. Right. That doesn't mean they haven't been violent before, and it doesn't mean they won't be violent in the future. We need to start holding criminals accountable for their behavior and making sure they show up in courts the first step. Bail helps that a long way. And, and and activist judges need to realize that.
1: Now, before we started recording, I checked to see if there had been any movement on the lawsuit. Nothing so far. But I did find that uh, one more community has joined. Uh, Beverly Hills is now going to be a part of it uh, as well. So uh, we'll keep tabs on this. Uh, next story, we'll go across the country to New York City. Um, NYPD's new, um, zone strategy has reaped some big successes, um, over the summer. Um, they have seen, uh, murders and shootings decline, um, for the same summer months in comparison to last year. Um, what their zone strategy is, is that, uh, The department basically blanketed 69 zones that uh, they had found were basically the epicenters for violence uh, in the city and basically just sent in, uh, as let's see, one official said uh, thousands of extra officers on foot um, between the hours of 530 p.m. and 4 a.m., and that started at the beginning of May, Um, and then between May and the end of the summer, uh, the department saw a 33% uh, decline in shootings, uh, 1,000 fewer crime victims compared to the same time in 2022. Um, I mean, this is great that uh, they're able to see these declines. Um, Hopefully, this is something they can continue past the summer.
0: I want to know who thought who didn't already know, more cops means less crime. Here you go. This is the perfect demonstrative argument for it, right? <clears throat> they didn't put a few hundred more cops out. They put thousands more out in the 69 high crime areas, right? They flooded them, like you said, um, beginning on May 4th. 33% drop of shootings, a 1,000 fewer crime victims. Somebody somewhere is going to say, but the budget won't keep supporting this. I want to see a mayor. I want to see a city council member stand in front of citizens and say, you know, I'm sorry, I'm perfectly comfortable with with murder rate going back up 33 percent. And, you know, a thousand more of you becoming crime victims because we can't maintain the law enforcement budget. We we have to house the homeless or whatever they got to do, whatever. Um, th- this is I love this. I'm, we ought to do a case study on this. We ought to write up a nice white paper about this. Go figure. More cops means less crime is, Hey, Los Angeles, are you paying attention? More cops means less crime.
1: And, and this, uh, this technique, this tactic is not, um, you know, new. I I believe I want to say Dallas does something similar, maybe not with the same amount of of officers, but definitely uh, zeroing in on those areas and uh, upping enforcement um like you said i wonder with departments across the country the the push and pull about staffing and budget of oh sure you know we can't afford to send that many officers to these problem areas what, you know what about the other non problem areas you know we the, the fear maybe of of putting all these resources in one place and then feeling like okay now we've we've left this other part of the community um susceptible to crime um, I, I I don't know that. But it, that hasn't proven something. out.
0: Now, True. admittedly, look, nobody has as many cops as New York City does. The biggest police uh-huh. department in the country. They can put more bodies out there and they can afford it better than anybody else can. But I wonder if this isn't going to develop a new protocol where the large agencies don't just have targeted enforcement teams. Everybody has access to big data. They all know where their crime epicenters are. They can flood those zones. And if you have dedicated people to that work. You don't make it secondary, you don't make it overtime. You have cops. you assign them to these targeted enforcement groups. Then when the epicenter of the crime moves, the team moves. When it moves again, the team moves, and they're essentially chasing crime around the city until the crime's chased out of the city. This works, budgeting, allowing and staffing allowing, and where they don't have the staff, it's time for multi-jurisdictional task forces to do this. The same same effect would be seen.
1: Moving on to our next story. Uh, this is out of Massachusetts. Um, body camera footage uh, was released this week um, of an incident, a shooting between uh, a Lakeville police officer and actually an off-duty Massachusetts state police trooper who um, confronted uh, a man with a replica gun who, in one instance, yelled out, uh, kill or be killed. Um, now. Obviously, the officers at the time didn't realize he had a replica gun, and we've talked about um, incidents like this where, you know, when you're in those split-second moments, it, you know, police are not able to discern that. And obviously, I mean, you have to be up close to the gun to find out that it's a replica, and this man, um, if you watch the footage, threatening the um, the officers, uh, the police officer actually took cover. Uh, immediately once the once he saw the gun um realizing that there was a, a possible threat there um and actually you know he received help too from that off duty um officer i believe they both fired um i let me check i believe both, the troopers shot was fired. The one that hit him
0: well so what this article says as i just mm-hmm. read through it is that they both fired they haven't specified who exactly okay. hit the suspect but both officers rendered emergency medical aid uh-huh. to the suspect. And that's phenomenal. That That's big. Um, and, I'm sorry and, for I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no, go ahead. Well, so in this instance, if this isn't a clear case of, of an attempted suicide by police, I don't know what is. Guy's got a replica gun. He's telling police officers, kill or be killed. Now, reading through the article... And and I wasn't in the incident and emotions run high. We try to teach our officers not to throw out the colorful expletives <laughs> during these encounters. Um, but you tend to, to respond in kind. And if, if the suspect's yelling curse words at you, some curse words might be yelled back. They still, I hate to think this officer get jammed up for unprofessional conduct given the situation. But if, if you're not throwing it out there, it can't be used against you. Witnesses hear everything. Try to be professional. Um, But, uh, you know, here you got a guy, he waves a gun around, kill or be killed, he ends up getting shot, he's probably disappointed that he didn't die, he's rethinking his behavior now, uh, charged with several crimes, Um, but he's being held without bail, excuse me, Um, charged with two counts each of assault and battery, dangerous weapon, and threat to commit a crime, held without bail, pending the outcome of his dangerousness hearing at noon on the 12th. Now, that's six days away. If he's still in the hospital, they're going to consider him not dangerous at all and release him on, on personal cognizance. Um, maybe he'll get some bail since he did this dumb stuff. But I would be, I would bet money, Joe. Not big money, but I'd bet dinner money, right? Like, I'll buy you dinner if I'm wrong. Um, I would bet money that he gets no bail and before the end of the year, he's arrested again for doing something similar dumb stuff. Yeah,
1: I, I it just, I, I mean, I... You're right. I, as far as this being a, a appearing to be a suicide by cop. And at the same time, uh, during the incident, he is he's taunting the officer, um, you know. Oh,
0: yeah. He was uh, the, shot.
1: Yeah. I, but not even just in the you see the the confrontation, but almost I, I don't know. It's um, again, it's it's such a. Um, you know, almost a no-win situation for officers in, in cases like this, and and I, I want to point out to the um, off-duty trooper who who came to help with this, um, to be able to to work with an officer that you're not communi- you haven't communicated with, you're you're not in the same agency with, um, and not to that become make the incident worse. Um, you know, kudos to their professionalism.
0: Well, and you know, at the end of the day, when you have a, a lethal force situation, really doesn't matter whether you're from a little agency or big agency, a police department, sheriff's office. Um, if you're a law enforcement, more law enforcement officer, your actions are the same, and, and your your judgment should be of the same level, and the communication has to be there. It, it is great that they could work together, and you know, you're right. This guy was really plucking their nerves. At one point, somebody fired a shot, and the suspect says, "Well, you missed, mf, a nice shot." Uh-huh if that's not yeah. taunting me to shoot him again or take another t- attempt i don't know what is. He he was definitely looking to get shot um so you know customer service is our business you, you ask we deliver <laughs> anyway
1: go going to the next story um this is out of las vegas this week marked the six-year anniversary of the uh Mass shooting along the Las Vegas Strip um, on October first, 2017, where uh, 60 people were killed and uh, over 400 were uh, wounded. Um, the The sheriff, who uh, Sheriff Kevin McCahill, or Mick Mick Mc Mick, McMahill, Mick Mick excuse me, yes, um, who wasn't sheriff at the time of this incident, was um, with the uh, Las Vegas Metro PD at the time um has been talking about uh taking care of the mental health of, of his officers. Um even six years after this, um he he had a great quote of, I believe in my heart of hearts that if we take care of our first responders better than we ever have, they're going to have to take care of this community better than they ever have. Um and and the fact that six years after this event, um, this is still something the, the mental health of of those who um, responded, uh, to the shooting, um, is still forefront on his mind, um, says a lot about trying to make sure he's got, uh, the, the best force possible, um, mentally and emotionally to, to go out there.
0: Isn't it about time somebody realized that? I mean, Mm -hmm. and I get it, like even something as simple as some, some police departments are big enough to have a gym and some don't, you know, some, some have fit programs, some don't, some have, Physical fitness tests, some don't, but I like what the sheriff says. He says the first phase is mental health down the road. The other phases that we've mapped out are physical fitness, health and wellness, nutritional health, family health, as far as childcare and daycare, financial health, spiritual health, training, education, career development, and mentoring. I mean, this is a very holistic approach and I'd love to see the sheriff do that. Now it's interesting out in Las Vegas, uh, you know, I don't know how many times you've heard me say there's a big difference between a sheriff's office and a police department. Uh-huh. Uh, they actually combine Las Vegas Metro PD with the county sheriff's office and the sheriff runs both. He is the chief of police and the sheriff for that. Um, and, it, and it, you know, Clark County Sheriff. It, it is an interesting way of doing business, but it's proving to be very effective. I'm glad to see him doing this. I'm glad we're paying attention uh, you know, suicide rates in law enforcement's way, way too high, and you never know what is going to be the weight that pushes somebody over that edge. So, yeah, this is this is a long time coming. It, it's sad that it grows out of such a uh, tragic event, but I'm glad I'm glad to see it being done, and kudos to the sheriff.
1: And and a uh, um, a sad footnote to this as well is this week, um, and a Manhattan Beach, California officer who is actually in Las Vegas at the time of the shooting, um, and is, is credited with being, uh, responsible for helping victims and, and saving lives, uh, at that time. Um, he was killed in a, uh, uh, traffic accident, a traffic collision, um, while riding into work on his, he's a motorcycle officer riding into work on, um, on his motorcycle. Um, and I just wanted to mention that is just, again, a, a, sad footnote to, to this already tragic anniversary.
0: Yeah, it is. Hopefully he rests in peace and, and earns that, uh, and
1: enjoys the
0: peace that he earned. Yes.
1: Um, next story. Um, this is out of Texas where, um, an independent uh, or school district there has uh, found a way to meet the requirements of the state of having um, security officers for um, their schools. This is an, an issue in the state where um, districts uh, are, are having uh, trouble fulfilling this at times. Um, Bur- let's see, Burleson Independent School District has found a way to do this something they actually started last year which was it was hiring a retired police officer uh, to be the school resource uh, officer or safety officer um uh, this seems like almost like a a a, a no brainer gonna... you know wow let let's let's do this and and I, I want to say I've heard this in in, in other states but yep. um uh, this is great uh, I I think um more more schools uh should try to do this if they can
0: well i mean for the places where you can't have active duty officers or deputies as your sros um and in this case they're talking about 10 elementary schools in burleson independent school district they hire retired officers now what do we get we get somebody who's uh already been trained we get somebody who's got obviously at least two decades of experience if they're retired two decades 20 years um you've got somebody who's probably getting close. And I don't mean to say this this way, but I am a grandpa. Um, You're getting close to that person who's of an age where they view all of these children as potentially their own grandchildren. And and they hold them as like, uh, I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe this. I mean, all too often with our own children, we get really frustrated and there's often that challenge of, do I want to pat them on the back and tell them what a great job they did? Or do I want to choke them out and tell them don't ever do that again? Um, but with with grandparents, it's never like that. It's just oh, every yeah. child's a blessing, and even when they're a pain in the butt, you talk to them and 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 you try to counsel them on their ways, and then you give them, you know, a pat on the back or a gold star or whatever's appropriate given the school that you're in. We're handing out Hershey's chocolate today. Here you go. Here's your chocolate bar, or whatever. And, and you know, I try to avoid the thing—the old man giving kids candy. That's just a bad image. But <laughs> these guys, retired officers um i can, I don't think you can get better a better option unless you've got active duty officers that, that the schools can afford to put in there and and then the, the retired guys are happy to have the job delighted right. to be doing the work and their spouses male or female either way are delighted to have them out of the house and going to work rather than <laughs> sitting around grumbling about it i have nothing to do it just it's a win-win everywhere you go i love this idea
1: right yeah and, and again this I mean, obviously, these these jobs probably aren't are paying a lot, which means to my mind, these are these are individuals who who want to serve, who who still want to um to to help out. And, well, that, and, and, and I they think don't need
0: the great. money. They've already got their retirement right. check. Right. So they can do it.
1: Yeah. So, I, again, I hope this this gains a lot more traction and um we, we start to see it not just in te- Texas, but uh, other school districts, districts across the country.
0: 100%. 100%. I
1: love it. All right, our our last story will we end on on a really good note. Um probably my favorite story of the week. Um this is out of Michigan um where um a resident in Southgate just uh, was incredibly thankful for a police sergeant who risked his life um helping to save residents in a senior uh living apartment complex. Um this one man came down to the police station um and needed in his words to give the officer a hug because this sergeant had um carried his mo- the resident's mom three flights of stairs down cuz she was she's 86 years old um needed the use of a walker um but he got her out of the uh burning complex uh along with others as well um and this is This is really great. Again, it shows you um, all all the different ways that um, police have to be ready um, to tackle the calls that they go on. This uh, the sergeant was the first one, you know, part of the initial response um, to the fire, and immediately just started helping evacuate uh, the residents.
0: So, as a police officer, I'm required to crack some kind of firefighter (laughs) joke here because. I mean, here we have a sergeant again, Sergeant Maroney, the hero of the moment, doing firefighter work because the firefighters aren't there yet. Um, got, got to pick on our brother firefighters uh, and, and, and kudos to them. They know that I make fun, but I respect them and I appreciate them. And in this case, Sergeant Maroney uh, going into a burning building. I used to be a volunteer fireman. There's a reason I stopped because fire is a force of nature and one day it will win. I don't like going yeah. into burning buildings. That's why I quit doing that. Um, Sergeant Maroney goes in, like you said, he carries this woman down three flights of stairs. But then the article goes on; and it says he's running back up and down the steps, grabbing these people. Uh, and and the gentleman who came in to thank him and give him a hug says, "This is beyond heroics, as far as I'm concerned." Um, you you love seeing these kind of stories where people actually appreciate um, the the risk that was taken and the good that was done. And, yeah, hats off to this Sergeant Nicholas Maroney. What a great job. What a great mm-hmm. way to represent law Absolutely. enforcement. Um, I, hopefully this man gets r- noted for it at, at a proper agency function.
1: And uh, it, I had Sergeant Maroney in, in uh, Gary Cooper fashion, his response as far as to what he did, just doing my job, doing what we're trained to do. Just doing it the best we could
0: and you have um, no idea how many cops would say exactly that you're you know, right. Yeah, right sure i appreciate that somebody appreciated that but what the hell else was i supposed to do i was just i was doing what i was supposed to do i was doing my job you
1: know and yeah yeah and and doing his just doing his job um saved lives and uh like the the other man said too is is there was um and oh i don't think i, I but we, one of the quotes was that uh, he had 20 grandkids and great grandkids that were absolutely ha- thrilled that they had a grandmother and a great grandmother still alive. Thanks yeah. to this, this officer. So amen. that ends it for us this week. Um, thank you very much for listening. Um, again, we hope to you're back uh, next week and in between uh, listen to uh, our podcasts uh other podcasts that we have especially uh new series that we've started on uh, the uh, evolution of active shooter response uh we've got two episodes up uh definitely check them out um
0: next week you and editor paul peluso are going to be doing this because i'll be at the international association of chiefs of police and we hope people keep up with our coverage from that
1: event online great so take care and stay safe
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Lineup. Please remember, the opinions voiced are not those of Officer Media Group or Endeavor Business Media, but only those speaking those opinions themselves. Thank you and stay safe.